0: You think that sometimes that life is just, just going, going perfectly. About 14 months ago, I went to the doctor for routine hernia operation, and they came back and said that they're was some fluid that was found that didn't look right, that the surgeon sent it for, for some lab results, come back to the, doc, from, to the doctor in a week. Well, I went back to the doctor a week later, and I got that news that nobody wants to hear, you have cancer. And the doctor basically told me at that point, you have one to five years to live. At that point, I really started feeling fear. I don't wanna say I showed it on the outside, but on the inside, I really did. I could say that there was about two nights of just losing sleep. You know, all the thoughts go through your mind. I need to get my will taken care of. I need to say everything I need to do with my family. I need to write them birthday cards for the future. I'm just telling you about all the things that just crossed through my mind. And it was scary. And I can honestly say on about day four, I couldn't take it anymore. I went into my bedroom, just got down on my knees, and I just gave it all to the Lord right there. And I just asked God to just whatever the plans were for this I'm okay with it and just help just help me through this and at that point I really was comforted it's that was the turning point for me on this journey of the last 14 months the week after I gave it to God just a confirmation that the Lord was working in this um, a friend of mine told me John do you have a Bible at home I said yeah I said read Jeremiah 2911 the Lord's telling me that you need to that. So I went home, read Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. And it just really comforted comforted me like no other. I uh, go to work on Monday, and I called one of the other assistant principals who's on summer vacation, and she's been walking with me on this journey with my family and I. And I tell her, Yvonne, hey, the Lord's with me. And I gave her the scenario of reading Jeremiah 29-11, and she said, oh my God, John, you're not going to believe this. I'm sitting here drinking coffee out of my Jeremiah 2911 coffee mug. A few days later, my stepmother sends me a prayer token. What's on there? Jeremiah 2911. That's how the Lord just started working in me, just knowing that there was comfort for my situation. And as that grew, the fear of death really left. And as I grew spiritually to know that everlasting life was a guarantee, and I'm telling you that, this is one of the things that I had to learn to be able to give up everything to the Lord as things come in my life whether it's good bad stressful share the good things with the Lord give up the stressful negative things to the Lord and things will work out okay and I could tell you life's been a lot fuller since I've been learning to do that because it's a journey making that journey and progressing and evolving has just been been an awesome experience the best thing in my life I guess the best way I can describe it is Prior to this diagnosis, I was probably moving on a spiritual journey of growth that went about like this. And since since getting this diagnosis, it's probably been spiked, been spiked like that. And I can tell you, since that experience has come about, nothing will change, nothing will change the way that that's uh, been going for the rest of my life. When somebody asks me the short-winded version, and I say, you want me to sum it up? And they say, yeah. I'll say, well, the doctors... The doctors say, I'm going to die. God says, I'm going to live. If you give it to Jesus, you're going to find that you have the promise of an eternal life.
1: Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would learn. We would learn lessons constantly and we'd learn to live in such a way that we just grab a hold of life and never waste a moment, never waste a, a relational opportunity, but we live our life to the fullest. May we be that focused in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Proverbs 15. If you have your notes, you can see where we're headed so you can turn ahead in the scriptures. Uh, There was a a man who went to the racetrack and he walked up and he saw a Catholic priest near the horses. And he thought, hey, that's interesting. And the priest uh, put his hands on a particular horse and sprinkled water on it and then walked away. Well, then the, the horses came to the starting gate and pow, they took off. And the horse that was prayed over came in first. Even though the odds were against it. I mean, resoundingly in first place. Well, he walked back to the horse area, watched the priest again do the prayer and and shake the And he thought, oh, it went out and he bet money on it. That horse came in first. He went back and watched, and same thing, the next horse came in first. Now he's thinking, man, i got to get every penny I can, you can't lose. And he sneaks over and watches the Catholic priest, you know, praying and whispering and sprinkling water, and he goes back, he's put every penny on this horse, the horses come to the starting gate, it opens, and all of a sudden the horse he's betting on just kind of barely comes out. All the other horses are leaving it in the dust. And he's thinking, no, no. And then the horse barely makes it around the turn. And he's like, no, all the other horses come in. It's not even halfway around. And and he went to the priest. He said, what happened? He said, I got to tell you, I watched you praying over horses. And everyone you prayed over came in first. And you prayed over this one. And it came in last. And the priest said, that's the problem with you Protestants. You don't know the difference between a blessing and last rites. Well, you know what we're talking about right now is, is what if it was last rites? What if you did not have that long? What would change in you? What would be different in you? And, and the thing we've said is this, is you would, you would probably start living every moment you could to the fullest. Live passionately. You hopefully would love people in, in a way like never before. You would love completely with nothing left out. But the other thing you would probably do is you would begin to learn some lessons, It would humble you and you begin to learn some lessons about what matters and what doesn't matter. And if you were wise enough to pick this book up, you would begin to see. You can begin to see that God's telling you that constantly. In Proverbs 15 verse 14, it says, The mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on folly. And and see, if we're going to be the people God wants us to be, we need to be an intelligent people. Uh, uh, Far too often Christians have not come off as intelligent. Even though that's the furthest thing that God wants us to be. We're not to be people who operate in ignorance or myths. Or twisting scripture out of context. As a matter of fact, we have a core value around here. We want to be an intelligent church. We want to be able to discuss things intelligently. Maybe debate intelligently. Always tying ourselves back to scripture. But willing to ask the question. And willing to go through the mental Olympics it takes to come to the right conclusion. You know, uh, uh, in 1870 at Westfield College in Illinois. They were having a conference. And the president came out. And he said, we're in an age like no other inventions are happening and I believe in a short period of time men will be able to fly well right after him the next speaker was a a pastor Bishop Wright and he got up and just tore into the president he said what you just heard was heresy and he actually called for the president being removed and he said the bible clearly states that men will never fly only the angels can fly You probably already guessed it. By the way, it's a true story. Bishop Wright had two sons, Orville and Wilbur. Does the Bible say that man can't fly? No. The bottom line we have today is sometimes people twist and turn and and, and they they magnify some ignorance that, that in reality isn't wise. God wants us to be an intelligent people. But the greatest lesson you would ever learn, the greatest lesson you would ever learn is when you grab hold of faith in God. I believe when Jesus said that he wants our faith to be like a child, that's part of what he was getting at. The innocence, the trust, but also the inquisitive nature. Have you ever been around a young child? Have you ever noticed what young children do? They ask questions constantly. Why is the, why is the sun yellow? You know, why are there birds in the sky? Why is the sky blue? And they just want to ask and ask and ask and ask. As a matter of fact, Dr. Rolf Smith found out, according to his study, that children ask 125 probing questions per day. All you who are parents go, I know. (laughs) But you know what? He's found when we become adults, we ask an average of six probing questions a day. Somehow we've lost 119 questions. But I don't think it's because we're that smart. As a matter of fact, God says I, you should seek to know things. You should ask the questions. You, you should go to him. You should go to others. You should be willing to check. But I can tell you this, that if you found out you only had a short time, you'd start asking, does my life matter? What should I invest in? What should I not ever let go of? If you only had a month to live, you'd probably learn some lessons. That's what John said. Did you catch it? He said, I learned, I learned, I learned. Well, Pam and I almost died. We were in a car with two of our friends, Dale Borgen and Tony Amoslucker, flying down a road about 50 miles an hour. None of us were wearing our seatbelts. I know we should have been. Back then, it wasn't seemed to be as big a deal. None of us are belted. And a girl just pulls out and stops right in front of me. Man, I'm going for the brakes. Tony's screaming. Pam said that she thought somehow, some way we would miss because I've gotten her out of those kind of problems before. Because I've gotten her into those problems before. and uh, But we didn't miss. And we started into that car. And I got to tell you, I knew we weren't going to miss. I knew we were going to hit. I believed with all my heart we were going to die. And all of a sudden we slam in and I go up and hit the steering wheel and break it off and take out my windshield. Pam flies it and knocks out her windshield. Those two big guys hit the seat and snap it and push us back up again. Man, we're just bouncing all over that car. And uh, I was unconscious. But I thought, the last thought I had, I really, I'll never forget this. It was very clear. I th- actually said these words. I said, Lord, here I come. I thought I was going to be in heaven. And when I woke up, I was bummed, man. You know, and, uh, uh, but, but here's the thing. It, is, it just brought a focus to our life. If you ask Pam, what are some moments that changed your life? She and I would both tell you, that was one. Dale's told me that. Tony's told me that. It just made us realize some things. So what did we learn in that moment? Let me give you three things we learned. Number one, we learned how fragile life is. We learned how fragile life is. I mean, in an instant, we're almost gone, you guys. I mean, I'm planning on being in this meeting and reading this book and doing this and doing that. And all of a sudden, it's all going to be taken away. After the accident, I drove down the street and the freeway watching how many people just miss being in one. And that's why I remember Moses said in Psalm 90 verse 12, Moses said, Lord, teach us to number our days that I might present to you a heart of wisdom. And when I realize I don't have forever, I'm going to be wiser. The psalmist in Psalm 39, 4 to 6 said, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my day as hand breasts, and my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not even know who will gather them. He said, you know what, we're, we're like a breath. You know, like when it's cold outside and you go and breathe and you're just gone. And I know that some of you are younger and you act like you have the rest of your life ahead of you. But let me tell you that I'm going to bet money for John. I know for, Mom, and for others, the minute you hear those words, it's over. You think, where'd it go? It just goes so fast. It just goes way too fast. And, and you know what is we need to not be afraid, not fill with paranoia. But we need to be aware of that so that we would live better, live smarter, live more intentionally, more focused. Now I want to say this. I know that today the vast majority of us are not going to do that. And here's why. We're, we're functioning under what's called the normalcy bias. Uh, behavioral psychologists say that's just how we function. As a matter of fact, uh, a man named Doctor Leach said that he's come up with what's called the incredulity response. Now, what is the normalcy bias? Along with the incredulity response, the normalcy bias is somehow we believe life will always go on the same. That's why a lot of financial people, when the finances started going down for our country, acted like somehow, some way, we'd get out of it. They and they kept spending. They just kept. They, they just thought. You know what? It, it's got to turn around, because they're functioning under what's called the normalcy bias. When, when someone's told they're going to die, they 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 try to go on with their life as normal, and, and they try to function that way. Doctor. Dr. Leach did an amazing study after a huge tragedy occurred in England when the tube caught on fire, a particular area of the subway. Flames broke out, smoke filled it, and here's the scary thing. Thousands of people died, but every single person could have been saved. There was plenty of exits, plenty of exits to be able to make it out on, and there was plenty of time to get out. Why did so many people not make it? Well, through... Watching the video of what occurred and interviewing people who had been in similar situations. He said, that's what we call the incredulity response. You see the smoke, you hear the alarm, but somehow, for some reason, you think, no, this isn't true. By the way, in this service, you have to know that. Do you remember when the fire alarm went off a few weeks ago? And you all just said, okay, keep preaching, you know. And, 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 you know, I I, I got to say, I'm glad you didn't rush out. We we want to handle it right. We actually have a an exit plan in place to save everybody and would like to have you exit in a particular way. So the calmness was good. But the thing is, it goes to what we think. Fire alarm's going off. It can't be a fire. You know, and yet it, it, it really could be. You know, you might say, what would cause it? The hot preaching. <laughs> okay, I think that's funny. But, uh... <laughs> But you know what is, 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 is we all live that way and we live like we're not going to die. And when we do that, we miss the point. We waste moments with our friends. We waste moments with our family. We don't ask the most important questions. And so we're not living life in a focused way. And, and, and when you know you're going to die, you realize something, I don't have that long and life can be taken away fast. The second thing I learned when I almost died was I learned what really matters Turn in your Bibles to Luke 12. A friend of mine I was sitting with recently, for 14 weeks, believed with all his heart he was going to die. The doctors told him that. All the tests came back that way. And he said to me, Chuck, you know, I've been through the live like you're dying thing. But I got to tell you that I had a a, a kind of a longer list of things I wanted to accomplish. But man, when when I was faced with death, it got pretty small. It was amazing how many of those things I thought mattered even then didn't matter. All of a sudden, it was brought down to just a few specific things. And he said, I can't tell you how that's changed me. Uh, there's one of my favorite movies is called Labyrinth. I don't know if you've seen Labyrinth. Uh, it's an older movie. Jennifer Connelly's a young 12-year-old girl, I think, in it. David Bowie is this kind of weird um, um, elf king who's very dark and kind of eerie. It was typecast. <laughs> uh Okay, I thought that was funny too. Anyway, uh, so what happened in this movie is Jennifer Connelly has a little brother and he's always coming in a room and always getting into her stuff and driving her crazy and finally he takes something else that's hers that he does, she doesn't want touched, touch and she screams, I wish you were never here and David Bowie comes and takes him and now she realizes she has to go into this kind of fantasy world through a labyrinth to try to get him back. She's going to have to encounter horrible things and fearful things and and overcome great challenges just to get to her brother. It's at the risk of her life, and yet she won't stop. Constantly, things try to dissuade her. And then finally, the biggest challenge of all happens. She's taken and dropped back into her bedroom. Her first thought is, I'm back, I have to go through it again. But then she realizes that isn't the case. But she looks around and everything she loves and everything she values is there. And this elf walks up to her and gives her a brush and gives her a mirror and says, you have all these pretty things. Your brother won't bother you anymore. And then she says the line, it's all junk. It's all junk. Compared to her brother, it's just junk. Now don't miss that because too often in life we get caught up in such material things that aren't going to matter. They're really not going to matter. The cars, the houses, the clothes. I'm not saying you can't have a car, a house, or clothes. But they can't be the priority of your life. We don't live our life based on material things. We live our life based on what matters, what's eternal. Jesus said that we need to be aware that our life is not found in the abundance of things. We're about to read that. John would later say that all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. And all of these things are passing away. How many things do people throw themselves into? Uh, Experiences that in the end will not help their life and will not feed into eternity. In in, in material things that definitely are not going to heaven with us. Notice what Jesus says in Luke 12, verse 15. He says, Then Jesus said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And then Jesus told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. By the way, the literal there is, they are now demanding your soul. Uh, Before I read on, do you know what he's saying? Jesus is saying that man's soul was worthless. It was misused. People can live amazingly worthless lives, especially when they're materialistic. When they're not throwing themselves into relationships. When they're not being the person that God wants them to be. When they're not experiencing God and living with him. It's a wasted soul. And he said, we're demanding it back because you've misused it. Why? He's materialistic. It says this, it says in verse 20, but God said, you fool that very night your soul is required of you. Now who will own what you have prepared? Jesus says this, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Are you rich toward God? Does your energy, your finances, your thoughts, your dreams revolve around him and experience him? Jesus said a person who doesn't do that's a fool. Because in the end, being with God in the presence of God is all that's going to matter. And living the the great callings of God, that we love him with all our heart, mind, and soul, and we love others as much as self or more. And we do away with selfishness. God says, I want you to learn to live that way. By the way, one of the reasons God asks us to give to him financially is because it disciplines us to put him first. And we need to be people who are investing in eternity and never letting go of it. Never letting go of it. You see, I want you to know God has put eternity in your hearts. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in our hearts. Yet man will not find out the work which God has done from beginning to end. You know, inside you, you know there's something else. You know there's an eternity out there. I mean, deep down, I'm not saying everybody here. There's a few that won't agree with this. But it's not very many, statistically speaking, who don't believe that when you die, you go to something else. That when a, you hold a baby, you don't go, okay, that's it. They're born, they die. That's all that matters. We know something else matters. God's put that inside you. That's why we call out for eternity. That's why we seek for something beyond ourselves. And then God says, I'm it. Come live with me. Come love with me. And if we're wise, we're going to understand nothing matters more than that. Than my relationship with God and how I've loved others. And I hope today that's what your energy is focused on. I hope your life is focused that way. I hope everything about you in every area of your life is just geared with God. But I got to tell you something. When I was in the car that day, man, I am so glad that I had no fear I'd be with God. The third thing I learned beyond that life is fragile and what matters most... I learned something else.